Okay, great. What up, killers? I'm Mara. And I'm Taz. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. Friend, we made it to the end of Black History Month. We did. Yes, we we did. But that doesn't mean shit stops around here because we're rolling right into Women's History Month, which is one of my many favorite months of the year. So I thought that this case was a really good case to transition us from Black History Month into Women's History Month because when we think about women in prison and we think about everything that has led up to the crime, a lot of times we forget who the woman was before her crime or what events led up to her being in the situation that may have come to a crime. And then it also made me think about the prison system and how crappy it is and how one mistake can define your entire life. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. Streaming October 6th on Paramount Plus. First place I learned about death was a pet cemetery. Dead things buried in that land would come back. There's something else. Something's wrong with Timmy. He needs time to adjust. That's not Timmy. Something's talking through him. Sometimes dead is better. Pet Cemetery. Bloodlines. Rated R. Streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Our players this week are Thomas Vigliarolo, who is the victim, Roy and Daphne Hilton, the adoptive parents, Alvin, the not really ex, just let's just call him ain't shit, Adrian, her daughter, Luis Miranda, the mastermind, Maria Teresa Talag, the accomplice, Woody George Pace, one of the Cody's, Selma Pace, one of the Cody's, Rita R. Peters, Donna's roommate, one of her Cody's, and Donna Hilton, our murderess. So Donna is not 100% sure about her date of birth, but she does know that she was born on the island of Jamaica to her mother, who was a devout hoodoo practitioner. She never met her biological father, and Donna loved her mother just as any other child would. Um, in Donna's book, she described her mother as having undiagnosed bipolar disorder. And one of her earliest memories is her mother throwing her up in the air. You know how you throw the little babies up and catch them and babies giggle and you throw them up again. And so Donna's mom is doing this with her as a baby. She's playing with her. And then on the third time she throws her up, she acts like she's going to catch her and pulls her hand back. And Donna falls flat face on the concrete floor. And she described, she's like, I still got a knot on my forehead from it. Like, I felt like a unicorn in school growing up with it. And she was just like, her mom would do little things like this. And she just couldn't understand. It just went from like this loving moment to this traumatic experience all of a sudden. She said that she could like see the shift in her mom's eyes. Like, you know, like she knew when things were bad. When Donna was seven years old, she sees her mom talking to this good-looking couple, Roy and Daphne Hilton. And she sees them talking to her mom and exchanging paperwork, which, you know, she doesn't think much of it. She's seven. Her mom probably got some business to do, right? So Daphne, a highly educated, like, she's Mensa educated, okay? She's smart as hell. Like, super smart. Yeah, she's psychologist and she stoops down to Donna and she asks if she wants to go to a magical place in America where kids get to have fun and eat cotton candy. She's like, you know, you want to go to Disney World? And of course, seven-year-old Donna's like, yes, like what child doesn't want to go to Disney World? It's Disney World. Magic, I'm in. You know? So they 
get her ready. They get her passport and they get her on a plane to America. And when she arrives, she's in New York. <laughs> yeah, so there is no Disney World in New York in case you guys didn't know. Right. We do have and, international and, listeners that may not know that Disney World is not in New York. <laughs> so she she is given a room in this high-rise apartment and she's told that this room would be hers unless there was company. And when she asked where she was, Roy Hilton just says to her, you're home. The Hilton family, they had very high status. Now, Daphne was a person that was obsessed with her work. Her um, Donna says in her book that to Daphne, her education and status was everything to Daphne. Like that was something that she really prided herself on. Her nose was always in a book. She was either at a lecture, teaching a lecture, doing something that the scholarly smarts do. Daphne also demanded that excellence from Donna. Like she would tutor Donna extra at home, made her um, like speak different languages around the house. So like if they were learning how to pour tea, which was something that they had Donna do for them often, like pour the tea, she would say, oh, say it in French, you know? So really um, giving her the extra tutoring. One of the things was Donna would come home from school and she would have to just wait outside in the of the apartment inside of the apartment building just waiting to get into the house because they never gave her a key to the house like never gave her a key to get into the house so she would just be sitting there waiting because she had nothing to do after school and she wasn't really allowed to go out and play with the other kids she wasn't really allowed to go to the park and have a good time which like at seven when did you get a key to the house y'all don't have keys at your house when do you think a kid needs a key at the key to the house it depends so i had we had sisters so i was never alone you know, I think it's different as an only child. I mean, I was an only child and I think I had a key. I feel like I always had a key maybe after fifth grade, maybe starting middle school. I had a key. But here's the thing. My mom would be so pissed because I was also really bad at losing my key, which I mean, I still am now. So maybe it's just a thing. But mm -hmm. that would piss her off because she's like, with a key to our house, it's just out and about in the street. And it's just you and me, which I guess I understand. So, but she was just constantly just waiting in the building, waiting for them to get back. Now, when she was at school, she really didn't have a lot of friends because, I mean, she high yellow. She's uh, got this deep Jamaican accent. Everybody's like, girl, where are you from? Like, we from New York around here. So she was really musically inclined. She actually played the clarinet um, and she was really good at it. And the only reason that Daphne allowed her to do it because she was like, this will increase your chances to going to an Ivy League. So sure, you can do music. But something that Donna actually fell in love with is track and field. So of course, during PE, she would run and she was really fast and actually really good. And so the coach took interest in her. The coach was like, you know, you should try out. You should, you could just come on the team. And Donna asked Daphne. And at this point, Daphne is also very cold. She didn't really give a lot of love to Donna, but like Donna was like, okay, I'll call you mom, you know, I guess. So Daphne's like, mm, no, why do you want to run on a track? Mm, no, that has nothing to do with higher education. That is not going to get you into Princeton and Yale and Harvard and all of the fancy schools or whatever. So Donna tells the coach, my mom, you know, mom said no. So the coach actually calls and convinces her that, you know, track scholarships are out there and Donna is talented enough and Daphne's like okay so how much does it cost you know black folks no matter they got the money you know that but they was like okay how much it cost and coach is like it's all right school's gonna take care of her shoes her uniform whatever she needs which I don't know no, I ain't know they was giving away shoes and I in middle high school you know what I'm saying I mean if you that good they'll make anything happen so she so the coach calls and actually convinces Daphne to let Donna run and then Donna is like amazing. She's killing it in the track meets. She's already got like schools starting to look at her and she's like super young at this time. She's about to go to regionals and she is representing the entire regionals. And I don't remember what event. Did she say what event in her book? I didn't write it down. So y'all gonna have to read it and see. She is about to go to regionals. Her coach calls and is like, Donna like calls the house and tells her, she's like, I got the flu. I can't take you to track. I can't take you to the meet tomorrow. And then Daphne and Roy are like, oh, we not taking you. You know we not. I don't know. That broke my heart. Like, yo, yo, 
you supposed to be y'all supposed to be my parents since we're here you want me to call you mom and dad i heard her say that she was on track to go to the olympics yeah she's they they were looking at her like scouts were looking at her for real um she also got a scholarship to like a prestigious boarding school this prestigious boarding school like I guess you take a test after eighth. Maybe I guess we, we take tests all the time. You take some type of standardized test in New York. And with the standardized test, they tell you what school you go in and going to based off of your scores, which I think is weird. Like we take the test so you know where we at, not so that you can group me. Whatever. That's why up north is crazy. So she takes this she takes this test and she gets a scholarship to this like really prestigious boarding school. She's like number three in the state in eighth grade. Like those are her test scores. It's smart. So Daphne is all proud because she's like, look at my child. Is and you know, Daphne is with the higher ups of the smart. So when she gets this award, money starts coming in. You know, they you know rich folks send gifts, especially some rich niggas, they gonna send gifts, monetary gifts. Daphne tells Donna um, I don't think that you're you have you're going to be able to compete against these girls in the boarding school. So I'm going to send you away to a friend of mine for the summer to tutor you because, you know, at, up until this point, Daphne's been tutoring her. The The deal that we've created with them, they just had a newborn. So you're going to babysit with them for this for them for the summer. And then he's going to tutor you before you go um, before we get you all ready to go to school. Donna says, OK, great. And this is a wonderful thing for Donna because Pretty much from the time that Donna started growing titties, Roy has been raping her almost every single day. He would take her literally into the master bedroom closet when Daphne's not there because she's off lecturing and she's off doing all the smart things or she's reading. He was taking advantage of Donna literally every single day. Donna was already learning how to disassociate. She was already learning that pretty much from the moment that he was like, you're so beautiful. She was like, I would blank out because this was like happening every single day. And she tried to actually tell somebody. She tried to tell the counselor. And when she told the counselor at school, only thing she told her counselor at school was like, I'm tired of this shit. Like, um, all I need is for somebody to give me a lock for my bedroom door. Like, that's what she wanted. She's like, I want a lock for my bedroom door. Counselor calls Daphne, obviously, because that's what you do. Daphne gets on the phone. You know, Daphne talks to the counselor's talking to Daphne. And like, you know, black mamas do. They say, all right. The counselor's like, all right, she wants to talk to you. Gets on the phone with Donna. Is like, Donna, how dare you make up these lies? How dare you say that about your father? He is a good man. Blah, 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 blah. Wait till I fucking see you. Which is... (laughs) Not the right response. Right. So this this summer with this family is like, okay, bet. And they were so nice to her. The baby was cute. She's finally like seeing what a family is supposed to be like. She's finally seeing like she was getting to go out to eat. They was having barbecues, pizza parties. She was actually making a few friends. But then their family goes away. They're like, oh, you know, we'll be back. And I'll take, we'll take you out for pizza. And, but only, but mom and the baby, I guess, stayed at grandparents' house or whatever. Her tutor, the husband, comes and then just rapes her and starts doing that consistently. So she left one to for another. Yes, she left one situation. At least it was she knew it was she was going back, but she at least temporarily left one to be in what she thought was a good situation turned bad, and then now she got to go back home. And speaking of one bad situation to the next, child. Okay, she is back home, and there's this guy that lives in their building, in the apartment building, with his mama. His name is Alvin. And Alvin, she's like 14. Alvin is like 20 something. And he's like, what's wrong? Why? And, you know, she's just walking around all sad. And finally she like confides out. She's like, I'm just sick of this shit. Like, you know, he's always fucking raping me. Like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Like, I'm so, I'm ready. I just need to go. And she was like, I just, I got some money. She's like, I know I got some money in there from all them gifts from them rich folks. I'm just about to use that shit and go. He's like, well, why don't you? He was like, I'll help you. I'll help you run away. And she's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I hope y'all do whatever you need. So they're starting to plan. She's going to take her little um, her little seed money from, from the rich folks. And they're going to run away together. So they make the plan. They go away. They hit, hit another city. He is like, all right, we got you checked into the ro- hotel room. And we're going to make sure that everything's all right for you. Like, I just helped you run away or whatever. And she's like, oh, great. And then as soon as they lay down, he's like... <sighs> You're so beautiful. And she's like, oh, no. Here we fucking go again. Right. She's like, I just fucking got here, bro. Like, God damn. And this becomes a 
she, her and Alvin, this was a, a thing for a while. And he would, he was like angry all the time. He would threaten her. He would hit her. He would make her crawl around whatever apartment they were at. He would like, so this was like, he was angry. One time that when they were running out of money, they slept outside and he was like, this is what people in love do, babe. They like got a job parking cars. And he was like, hey, remember, you're fucking 19. All right. Like she's completely underage and he's completely overage. One day she's like, um, how we go about seeing, seeing, seeing a doctor? And he's like, what you mean? She's like, yeah, um, I think I'm pregnant. And he's like, what? And then he calls her a whore, hits her, rapes her again. While she was pregnant, they ended up, you know, he was, some days he was very violent. He, other days he'd be very loving, you know, you know, got a baby on the way. Uh, she ended up having her baby, Adrian, by him when she was 16 year old, 16 and he was like 27. She tried to go back to the Hiltons because, you know, life with a baby with his ass is really fucking hard. She tries to go back to the Hilton. They open the door. They look at her. Daphne was like, we don't want nobody embarrassing us. And then they showed her the door. Mm. Fucking trash. She's like, I'm sitting there. I'm looking at Roy like, this is the least you could do, motherfucker. Right. He probably like, ah, too young to be mine. He's like, as long as that is mine, I didn't fuck up. And, you know, he's lying to his wife. And she's already a horrible person. So years go by and Donna starts to work just going from temp agency to temp agency. And she ends up getting married. Not to that fuck nigga Alvin. To some basketball player. Um, she respects his privacy. She never names him. Um, thinks actually. Because girl, I want to know. <laughs> she said, I like to respect his privacy. I, I respect that. Um, things seem to actually start looking up in her life. She has a family. Like her own family. Her little baby. And her man that she chose. And he chose, you know. And then her world comes crumbling down. Her husband asked for a divorce, and now she's back on her own at 20 years old. Imagine being divorced by 20. Jesus Christ. I can't even imagine being married by 20. Fuck divorced by 20. So Donna's 20 years old now. She is living with her good friend Rita and Rita's mom. Uh, She doesn't want her baby in this environment, though. So Adrian is still living with the Hiltons. But Donna's like, I'm not taking my ass back there. She, while she's staying with Rita, she peeps Rita's trying to become a model or whatever. Rita's like, yeah, I'm going to make all this money being a model. But, you know, first you got to have your portfolios together so you can be doing these professional shoots. And Donna's like, you know what? That sounds like some good money. I'm pretty enough. I should be a model. But, you know, upon looking how much it takes to start a portfolio, she's like, I need a good $1,500. So she's at work. And at work, she works with this girl named Maria Talag. And she's telling her, oh, I want to be a model, but I need all this money. And Maria's like, girl, I think I can help you. Now, Donna tells her friend Rita about Marita. And Rita says, mm, it's just something about that girl. You know what I mean? So, anywho, Donna's talking to Maria. And she's just like, I just need to become a model. And Maria's like, my god daddy can't help you. My dad. God, daddy, he's always doing favors, trying to help people out. And I think he might be willing to give you the money. So Donna's like, hey, let's go for it. So Rita takes her to meet up with her god daddy, Louis Miranda. And he's like, oh, tell me what you need. Okay, okay, you know, let's talk later. We'll meet again. And they meet up again. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I definitely feel I can help you out with that. We'll be in touch. They meet up again. And at this point, it's kind of like, did we need three meetups for this to happen? But third time's a charm. Lewis is like, all right, you say you need my help. I need a favor, too. He says, I got this man who owes me some money. Did me wrong in a business deal a couple years ago, four years ago. And it's time he paid up on his debts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have my beautiful goddaughter go over and lure him into bed. He's just going to come in, be like, ah, I caught you, and we'll tell his wife. And surely that'll make him pay up. You know, he'll, he'll want his wife, he won't want his wife to know, and that'll, that'll make him pay. And she's like, good old-fashioned adultery. <sighs> yeah. She's like, ah, okay. 
And like when she tells her story, she's like, this is the point. <laughs> that okay was where she fucked up. Right. I mean, because it's, there's no such thing as free money, but ever. ever. What they call it in school, tinstaffle. This man who owes him money is Thomas or Mr. V. So Thomas is 62 years old and he wasn't good at following through on his deals. And he turned out to be a bit of a scammer because he would go to people and be like, okay, you need this loan. I can get you this loan. And that's a sign of good faith. You just need to put down $5,000 or whatever the fuck amount. And, you know, we'll get you a loan in return on that investment. So basically he was like the original cash app scammer. Yeah, give me five hundred, I flip it. Right, that's what he but, was doing. But, but bigger amounts, right? At this point, he is—he's up in Chinatown, selling everybody. He's got like thirty different deals he could do, but you know, only two of them probably are worth shit, right? So, so he and his guy Nick Namit are working on this deal or whatever, and it's like for property out in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. So, while he's out there, this Asian lady introduces him to a girl named Maria. And he and Maria go on a couple of dates. And it's the same Maria that is Louis's goddaughter, right? Louis, he, he's into real estate. He owns a building in Harlem, um, an apartment building. And he's a bit of a long shark. So, he got tied up with thomas and he gave thomas one hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and thomas was supposed to flip that shit and didn't right and like we said earlier it had been several years they made this deal in 81 it's 85 now you know and he hasn't seen anything on this you know long a long shot they're not gonna let that go right right they want their money and they want it now and he was known to be part of like the big the big five mafia like real on some mafia type shit some real deal shit so maria is going and she's like you know i'm gonna do this favor my god daddy gonna break me off some money and we all gonna eat she also needed a couple extra people so she reached out you know and got rita and her mama involved too you know she said we can all lead out for this one right she's been playing the long game she's got Thomas checking her out or whatever and she was like you know why you don't come on over to my place so Thomas is like hell yeah he done lied to his wife told his wife he got business up in Chinatown and shit and you know he really trying to get busy with Maria he gets to Maria's apartment and shit fucking changes okay they put a bag over his head and Maria was like if anybody says anything say that he's drunk and Donna's all confused because she was like, I thought you was going to, and I was going to, you know, I was supposed to catch it. We were just supposed to catch y'all having fucking, like. <laughs> you know, she's like, what is, what is this? And at that point, it's like, shut the fuck up and get with the program, right? Right. Maria waving so, a gun around. I'm shut the fuck up. So they all head on over to Selma Pace's house. Um, Selma is a heavy thing. She said in her book that it was the most colossal woman she had ever seen. The newspaper said they guessed her at 450 pounds. But she, uh, they head on over, they head on over to Selma's house. Selma's husband, estranged, but they still get shit together, is like the muscle. And he's, you know, transporting thomas and and making sure shit goes along with plan and you have to understand that selma's house is the house that you don't want to go to you ain't trying to get sent there right selma's house is in lewis's building and when he got issues he sent them down to selma's crib and selma and them gonna handle that selma got three and a half inch plywood over the windows like she ready, she ready to get shit started. She prepped. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody gonna see shit. Like it's it's time to get to business. So Thomas gets over there. They tie him to the bed. They take off all his clothes. They're beating him. They're burning him with cigarettes. 
They're like, give us the fucking money. Tell us where to get the goddamn money. He's like, I can't help you. I can't help you. Please, please, please. Now, while this was going on, like Donna wasn't actually in the house because she when she was confiding, confiding in Maria, she was telling her like, oh, yeah, I want to park cars because she did when when she was at Alvin. She's like, yeah, I want to park cars. So I know how to drive. And, you know, knowing how to drive is rare in New York, especially in like the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Like it's rare to be able to know how to drive. And. So these are all things that Maria just happened to take into account. So when Maria is holding this gun, she's like telling Rita and Rita, mama, y'all need to stay here and make, just make sure he don't die. Like do whatever the fuck. And then Donna was always out of the apartment and they were making her drive them around and go from this rental car to that rental car and making, making Donna be in their chauffeur basically. So one day Donna comes back after they done chauffeured around and switch cars and all that mafia shit. And she looking at him. He got a bag over his head. He's gagged. They're like, is, she's like, is he eight today? And Maria's in there like, no, <laughs> no, he has not. And then she's like, have we given him any water? And she said, like, Rita and Rita, Mama, like they were there, but they wouldn't even ask what happened because you know, like, at the end of the day, they all just sitting there traumatized too, so they ain't even like talk about their day. They don't or whatever. So, so Donna, she like tells us part of the story where he's still blindfolded and she like Mrs. Kool-Aid takes his ball gag out and tries to like give him something to drink and you know like even though you blind or you're not blind but even though you you can't see you can tell somebody in there is different like if it's a different presence he's like who are you he's like oh you're you're not like the rest of them he's like please help me please help me and then she said he asked for a cigarette because you know niggas love their cigarettes back in the mm-hmm. late 70s early 80s and she's like she helped him to the bathroom and that whole time, like, he's blindfolded, and he's like, please help me. You're different from the rest of them. And she was just like, how can I help you? And I can't help myself. And she, like, and, of course, Maria's there with the gun. She's like, tie his ass back up. So she does. She goes to sleep. And then the next morning, Rita's like, bitch, wake up, wake up. He is not breathing. And she's like, what? Everybody's like, he is not breathing. He is dead. He is not breathing. They go and they check him. She's like, and then Donna starts freaking out. She's like, oh my God, no, no, no. He has to be. He has to be. Y'all are tripping. He has to be. Maria's on the phone with God, daddy, trying to get, you know, the next play in order. And then Donna's freaking out. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then Woody slaps the shit out of Donna. Get your ass together. Now, while Thomas was still alive, the gang had made ransom tapes, right? Or had him make ransom tapes. Maria, Woody, and Donna, they head out. Donna being the driver, Woody the muscle, and Maria is delivering the shit. They drive out to meet uh, Mr. Nick Namit at his office, right? And they give him this, Maria hands him this package, and inside the package, there's two cassette tapes and photos of Thomas bound and gagged, right? With cigarette burns and shit all over his body. Like, he looks fucking bad, Mm -hmm. right? So you look in the package, and there's two cassette tapes. One is for Nick Nemit, and it says, you've got to help me. I'm in bad with the Orientals. We've got to get their money. Now, the newspapers vary. One newspaper started off at 430000 went up to 439000 I've seen as high as 464000 mm-hmm. but they was asking for damn near half a mil in ransom, right? So... Mick's confused. He's like, I don't even know this man like that. You talking about business partners. We are trying to like do this deal, but like we are not, that's not how this works. I don't work with him. Right. And the second tape is to his wife, Thomas's wife. And it's like, baby, I'm in bad with the Orientals. You've got to work with Nick and give him whatever he needs to get this money so that, you know, you can save my fucking life. Okay. So Nick's like, yeah, I don't know what this is about. He hands it straight over to the police, mm-hmm. right? And the police are like, okay, we need to find a connection here. We need to find a connection here. So after receiving the tapes, Nick gets a call from a payphone. 
Now, on this payphone is Woody, but Woody has disguised his voice to sound like an Asian man. And he's like, hey, Nick, you need to give me these ran- um, you need to give me this ransom money or we're going to kill your friend Thomas over here. And I guess Nick is like giving him like, nigga, I don't, I don't know what the fuck you want me to do. And a nigga says, he's like, you know, he wasn't Asian because who the fuck talks about themselves like this? He says, I might be Oriental, but I'm not stupid. Like, sir, he was a nigga and stupid. How you gonna be racist towards Asians and pretend to be an Asian? Like, at you the can't same do time. both in the same sentence, right? Like, pick us, pick one, revert later. <laughs> Dumbass. So, Dumbass. <laughs> so the cops are like, okay, he's in bed with the Asians. We have to find a link with some Asian people. So they go to Thomas's office and they're rifling through his stuff and they're like, Asian person, Asian person, gotta find an Asian person. They find this contact. Now, remember. It was an Asian woman who introduced Maria to Thomas. They find her information. They're like, what do you know about Thomas? She was like, not too much, but I know my homegirl Maria just asked me to introduce her to him a couple of weeks ago. So they was like, okay, Maria, let's go check it out. They go to Maria's apartment, and there is signs that Maria has not been there for days. But there is a message on the answering machine from the car rental place that they are using. Again, newspaper is very, she either owed some money or she needed to pick up a refund or she was swapping out her new car. She was doing something, but she needed to return to the car rental place for it to happen. So they're like, okay, that's where we're going to go. We're going to the car rental place. They call the car rental place. They're like, hey, have you seen Maria? They're like, no, we haven't heard from her in a couple of days. They're like, well, you tell as soon as you hear something. A couple of days go by, car rental place calls the cops. Hey, we've heard from Maria. She's coming in this afternoon. Cops are like, perfect. We're going to catch her. We're going to figure out what the fuck's going on, right? So that afternoon, Maria walks into the car rental place. Cops stop her. They're like, girl, you under arrest. It's over. You need to tell us what's happening. They go outside to the car. And, of course, they find Donna in the driver's seat. And they also find Woody in the car and four boulders, right? So the cops take the three in and... Donna has had enough. She's like, listen, I will tell you everything. We have kidnapped this man. I didn't know this was happening. I really didn't want nothing to do with the boulders in the car so we could drown him in the lake. We're going to put it in. We stuffed them in the trunk. We didn't do anything. Donna did not do anything. Right, 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 right. Okay, <laughs> let me rephrase this. The boulders are in the car because they're going to stuff them in a trunk and put them down the river or the lake or wherever the fuck body of water she's near. She's like, they've been torturing him. It's just all bad. So the cops are like, one important question. Is he alive? And Maria's, Maria's still in shock. She had the shit slapped out of her when she started freaking over, finding out he's dead. And she like hasn't fuck i said maria so they're like we just have one last important question is he alive and donna is still in shock remember woody just slapped the shit out of her for freaking out when they said that thomas was dead but she's like i guess in her head not wanting to wrap her mind around the fact that he is dead so when they ask if she's still alive she's like yeah i guess out of hope or whatever right and so they're like okay where can we find him and she's like, they at Selma's house. Go to Selma's house, man. So they pull up on Selma's house. Thomas is not alive. In fact, evidence shows that Thomas had been dead by the time the ransom letters were delivered. He had no food in his stomach or his bowels. Cigarette burns all around him. His sternum was cracked. His nose was broken. He had been very badly beaten. He even had blood inside of his bowels showing evidence that he was sodomized. Like, they put this man through it, okay? So, okay, so, of course, everybody left at the house is immediately arrested. And, you know, things get ready to go to trial. Now, before the trial comes out, articles get to be written. And they find out, you know, that... Thomas is, like, I don't think before the crime happened, they knew how bad Thomas was. But they was like, this nigga is a scammer. He's scamming niggas in Idaho. He's scamming people in California. And it seems like he had, like, you know, relocated and just kept moving his little thing on. But they was just, like, several people were 
he was just like, give me $500 and I'll flip it. Right. People were coming out being mad. Yeah. He was actually being investigated by the FBI. But the issue was the FBI couldn't find any state to indict him. It was like, it's not enough money. It's not worth it, which is crazy. Did you going to tell me this nigga scamming me? I don't care if it was $500. He fucking scammed me out my money. You going to tell me it's not worth it? My troubles aren't worth it? Get out of here. That's wild. He probably knew the law and knew what amount of money to play and what not to play with so that he could just slide right under the radar. If he knew how to play that game, I don't think he should have ever been in debt to a loan shark in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely kind of like, "Mm, this man isn't all that we thought he was. Like, he wasn't this upstanding, he wasn't this, like, upstanding citizen or whatever. Like, he he had his own dealings, and it was kind of clear how he got tied up in this mess in the first place. Yeah, but I mean, that's the... I mean that nothing makes you deserve nothing it. makes you deserve nothing that. makes you deserve and it. it sure doesn't and nothing makes the people that were involved that didn't notice man to be involved in that shit at all this week's episode is sponsored by better help counseling services y'all we are always discussing mental health on the show and with better help you can take control of your mental health with a licensed trained and experienced therapist and here's the best part When you sign up for BetterHelp, you can tell them exactly what you're looking for in a counselor. So you can say, hey, I want a black female therapist, and they will find you the perfect match. All this without the high cost of in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Go to BetterHelp.com slash SistersWhoKill to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash SistersWhoKill. Take charge of your mental health and show support for the show. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. So the trial comes and everybody is being tried together except for Selma. Selma decided to plead guilty and she ended up receiving 5 to 15 years. The rest of them decided to... Prosecution was basically arguing that everybody participated in this crime equally. They all were just as aware. They all planned this together, and they all should be punished the same. They were all held without bail, partially because both of the Paces had been charged with kidnapping before, but pled to a lesser charge. So that means Woody and Selma, they had been charged with kidnapping before. This is not their first go around. Pace, Selma also had an ongoing relationship with Lewis, as we talked about. You know, if you had to go down to Selma's house, it was a problem. And the courts figured that was true or found out that that was true. Okay, so they were all tried together. However, they all had separate lawyers. Now, with Donna, she had a lawyer at first that kind of gave a fuck. And then, you know, public defenders, it just kind of snowballed to people that really didn't have the time of day or didn't think that their case was going to get anywhere. And here's the thing about Donna's case in particular. There was a lot of testifying. There was a lot of DNA evidence. There was, of course, photo evidence. The jury got to see it all. But with Donna, she was the only person whose DNA did not show up at the scene of the crime. Everyone's DNA was there. Rita, uh, Maria forced Rita to stay there. And um, so she was always constantly at the apartment. But Maria and Louis, they were constantly on the road and they had Donna in the cars with them. So Donna really only was there to sleep at night. Somehow her DNA did not show up anywhere. The only real reason, the only really thing that they had against her was the fact that, you know, she did know about it. And it honestly, if she would have lied and said that she didn't know shit at all, she probably would have had a chance of getting off because there was no DNA connecting her to it. But because she told the truth and told them what was happening, that's how she ended up getting caught. And also because that first time when she was in shock and she didn't want to believe that Thomas was dead. That was seen as a lie to, you know, the police, the higher ups. So that was also taken against her. I can't believe the police can lie to me, but I can't lie to the police. 
girl, girl. Like, I remember my first time lying to the police when I was trying to lie about my age. <laughs> like, and that that was that police officer had the nerve to tell me that Pink Pony was the best strip club in Atlanta. Like, girl, you lying to me right now. It's a long story. <laughs> it's a long story. So, actually, when the jury the jury comes in and they, like, ask the judge questions, because, you know, if the jury's not clear about a charge or the, the particulars about anything in the court system, they can come back in at, during deliberation to ask as many questions as they need um, to come with a unanimous decision. Now, for, for Donna in particular, they came in like... They came in, they asked about some clarifications on kidnapping, they left. They came in, they asked about some clarifications with um, murder, they came, they left. They came in, they asked for another piece of clarification, they left. They come in, the judge is like, do you have your decision? And Donna says she looked at the woman that came in, like there was, you know, the person in charge of the jury, oh. the, the spokesperson, the other four person. And she was like, her face just like, wouldn't look at me she was like I, I felt like there was hope in her eyes every single time but on every single charge so the so for the charges of felony kidnapping and felony murder she was given 25 years to life so shortly after receiving their sentencing uh Woody and some others are like actually the cops beat us there was like there was a lieutenant two different lieutenants and three officers, and they all abused us. And the sergeant or whoever's higher comes in, and he's like, listen, that's impossible. Because the incident that you're talking about, there must have been 25 officers at the scene, and there's no way that these officers would beat you with that many other officers around, which is like... Why wouldn't they? <laughs> is, that the, is that the case that you're making? That niggas won't act up in front of their niggas. Tell me. Come on now. Y'all all all know some nigga who did some ain't shit ass shit. But Mm -hmm. that's your bro. And what you want him to do? That's your bro. What you want me? That's him. That ain't got nothing to do with me. You are the company you keep, dumbasses. You know, that's why they say you're mean. That didn't really get them anywhere because it's 85. (laughs) Nobody really cares. And Donna was shipped off to Bedford Prison. Yep, she was. She was. Yeah, she was in jail at Rikers, which y'all know Rikers is a horrid place to be. But then she, um, she served her time in prison at Bedford. So while in Bedford, she definitely decided to make the most out of her life. She went in when she was young. She was twenty. She had shit to do. You know, she had a life to live, and she was gonna be in prison for it. So I guess she decided to make the most of it. Um, she was part of this therapeutic writing program. Uh, she got an education. Yeah, y'all. She got like two master's degrees. Yeah, that girl. She put the work in. Um. She started a program um, for people with AIDS. Mara, you want to tell that story? Yeah, so she tells this really uh, broke a nigga's heart uh, story in her book because she went to jail in the early 80s, and, you know, that was the start of the AIDS epidemic. Let me cut you off real quick. In researching this, I was looking at these newspaper articles and one right above it was like, heterosexuals can get AIDS. <laughs> like, Yeah, like this is the time where nobody knew fresh. anything about. It is fresh. Yeah, and it, it's in, also it's New York. So like um, she was saying that like once a, every month about four girls would just they go to sleep and they would not wake up. And all she was told was, like, it's a disease, it's deadly. That's all she knew. So there's this woman that um, was sick, and, like, she was she was, she was was frail as fuck. Because, you know, that takes over your entire immune system. Like, it, it shuts you down. She's mm-hmm. laying in her cell, and everybody, and she, she, Donna, like, ain't nobody going to help her? Ain't nobody going to help get her up? And everybody's like, we ain't going in there. Because they don't know. They think it's airborne. They're like, we ain't going in there. Like, not at all. So it's this wonderful story of, like, Donna kind of, like, helping her. And she says that she's like, 
there's some she was like she I saw her laying there she was like and then I, I just saw Mr. V and how I could have done something but I didn't and that's the thing like throughout the story she's throughout I feel like I feel like that's consistent. Like I could have done something, I should have done something, but I didn't. But okay, you didn't, and that's the mistake you're gonna have to deal with. Mm-hmm. But what are you gonna do now? What are you gonna do now in another, in another, like <clears throat> when you're faced with that same obstacle again? So she just tells the story about this girl, and she helped her out, you know, uh, help feed her, help take her to the yard so she could actually like get some fresh air and hear people playing the guitar and shit and she ended up passing away and from there they started like an AIDS awareness program because she was homegirls with oh fuck now I forgot the girl name she was homegirls with Judith Clark which okay if y'all know the Brinks the Brinks um truck robbery with the revolutionists of the time like Judith Clark she was Jewish but she was the she was the getaway driver and everybody from the everybody from the Brinks car robbery is out of prison except for Dr. Motulu Shakur but we can have that conversation another time but everybody needs to look at why that is some bullshit anyways Judith Clark was like her homegirl in there you know Judith Clark she a white woman but she a revolutionary you know what I'm saying and so they started the AIDS awareness program together and then um she became really close with the with a nun that would come in often and this nun that would come in often that was she was like that was my mama for real they started like a hospice service inside of the prison so that the women because they didn't know nothing about AIDS like uh there was a story of like Donna had to punch this bitch in the face and the bitch bit her and medic was like she we we don't know she might have she got it so we're gonna give you a tetanus shot I don't know what tetanus got to do with AIDS but but they (laughs) what the fuck exactly but they just didn't fucking know and so they started all these programs and they were able to actually get some legislation legislation pushed to help the women that were in prison because one of the things that everybody was noticing was like damn all of us have been sitting around and donna was like i thought my background was bad like y'all remember the top of the story she was like i'm sitting to listen to some of these girls and they are like worse off than i am like they never had a chance in life like what is and now this is the only time that they've learned how to sit down and and learn something and not just hustle for their next meal type shit and so she she started noticing that and that's why she started a lot of the programming that was in the prison she of course she also went to school but you know one thing that was really missing in her life was her daughter she loved her daughter and her daughter was now living with Alvin full time because Alvin bitch has fought for custody or whatever and finally through like the nun sister Mary that's her mama or whatever that's what she she still she still called that woman her mama so I'm so now that's her real mama why he a bitch ass for fighting for custody because he ain't shit he he, I'll tell you why he a bitch ass because Adrian comes and she is so sad. She wants to see her mama or whatever. He says that he wants, he doesn't want her to have custody. The judge says that you must bring her for custody. And after that, um, Donna didn't hear shit from Adrian for a long time. Donna reaches out to one of her old managers and was just like, Hey, I haven't, can you just like look around, see what's going on? Turns out finds Adrian the let uh her friend finds Adrian on the street, head full of lice, looking for her next meal. So yeah, Alvin Not is a bitch ass nigga. Got lice. Yes, that means her hair ain't been greased. That means she been living on the street. That means she been living in squalor. So she ends up getting her daughter. She gets up this program or whatever with uh, her her mama, sister Mary, whatever, to have Adrian stay her a summer at the like with a host family really close to so that she could come visit the prison every day and she was like this is the first time like because one of the things is like when women go to prison like the whole family suffers like this is a woman like this is the matriarch of a family i mean we talk about so many mamas going into prison i just think about like laquita and all her kids are suffering now because of the because she's in prison um but anyway she's like this is the first time my baby th- like that she knows that I love her and I know that she loves me and we're actually really really close and she said that you know Alvin is married now and got new kids and when they're having dinner Alvin makes her like sit in the corner and watch the whole family eat Mm-mm. I don't know why you fight to keep a kid and then mistreat them I don't get that you know 
So one day she gets a call and they're like, Adrian is missing. And they're, she's like, what the fuck? And you know, like she in prison, she can't do nothing. Her baby is missing. And she's like, Adrian, they're like, Adrian is missing. She don't know what to do. She can't do nothing. She's calling around. Niggas is like, we don't, we don't know where she is. Then all of a sudden Adrian shows up at the prison. Turns out Adrian is in tears and she's like, oh no. Alvin, keep up y'all. So Alvin's new wife slash baby mama, her sister's boyfriend was raping Adrian. And so now Donna is like in prison. She can't do nothing. She can't go beat this nigga ass. The only thing that she can do is reach out to these new resources that she got because, you know, she's been really making connections, you know, really connections in a good way. She's reaching out to all these resources, trying to make sure that there's a case, trying to file a, a case against this nigga, talking to her daughter every single day. A CEO tries to uh, run up on her. CEO tries to run up on her. She tries to tell somebody about the CEO trying to touch her inappropriately. Guess what? CEO's come in the middle of her night, pans her down, takes advantage of her, and throws her in the box. Talking about, um, talking about she assaulted an officer because you know that shit was a lie. So it used to be that you weren't able to get out any earlier than your minimum sentence. You know, you had to at least do the minimum bid. And they were writing and petitioning to, you know, for good behavior. Can we please get out earlier? And she was the first person to be considered for early release before her minimum sentence was up. She... Due to all her letters with the superintendents, the nun, everybody was writing on her behalf. The whole prison community was behind her, you know, just trying to say how far she's come, how much work she's put into others, the the community service that she's done in the prison alone, the outreach that she's done outside, you know, just all of this stuff. And all the parole board wanted to focus on were the crimes that she committed. In fact, when she left, they was like, fuck getting out early we're gonna give you two more years because that shit was just heinous and it was like when they tell y'all that prison system is broken they mean that shit boy it's broken like she said that they like ignored everything like if you read her book there she's got quoted of what some of the the letters of recommendation from everybody says and all they did and i get it like you know a crime is a crime but you have to look at the the reason that we have prisons is for the hope of re or it should you're supposed to to for the hope of rehabilitation and she got two master's degrees plus became an ordained minister she did all of this work i feel like there sometimes you have that shit has to be taken into consideration like that is what the prisons are supposed to be doing and like wouldn't new york would they don't think like this if she's doing so well isn't this the perfect political story to like push the agenda that prison is working you know but but they don't want the agenda that people can get out of prison and out of prison early and prison gets paid on the amount of bodies that are in there so no it's not the perfect they they really didn't even win much because the her getting out early was only going to be six months early because that is what her is getting out early was willing to, to other people get out early and they get paid on the amount of bodies in that prison. It That is the only female maximum security prison in the state of New York. They've got enough. I'm, frankly, they've got enough fucking bodies. Mm-hmm. But they're still mass anything, incarceration. It's, it, it's greed. It's greed. It's greed. You don't. You do not care about people being better. You do not care about the shots that you don't care about people trying to make the world a better place. Like, let me move closer. So, after twenty-seven years, Donna is released from prison, and her activism work does not stop there. She continues to hustle for herself and for others. Um. 
She wrote a book. Honestly, y'all can just go see her uh, interview on The Breakfast Club. Like, she everywhere. She everywhere. She, um, Kamala Harris got some flack. She put her on some, what did she put her from? It was like the women's, um, we are the people, women's thing. They were like, you know, everybody was getting on Kamala because they said she's tough on crime and shit like that. And so... You know, this was her person who she brought in to be like, you know, <laughs> I believe in reform. And they was like, you brought a murderer? But I mean, is that not the biggest reform story? <laughs> exactly. Like, but also Donna also commits her life to helping people that are making that transition from prison back into the real world. And uh, she's works a lot with women that are victims of sexual trauma or any type of trauma, childhood uh-huh. trauma, family, domestic trauma. Mm-hmm. But also she got called to work with men that are transitioning that have a history of sexual offenses. And so that is like extremely, first of all, she was like, at first it was like extremely triggering. Like, what do you mean? And then but I guess like she's doing that work for men as well. And some of them, I, I think some of them actually, some of them, you know, you find out that they're false charges. Some of them, you find out that their charges were like the nigga was 18 and his girlfriend was 17 type shit. Sometimes you, she's dealing with people that actually did commit these offenses. And that dedication of feeling that somebody can and has the ability to change their course because they, um, because they dealt with trauma in their past and actually having the resources. Because when you're in prison, it, ideally, I don't know how to say this because ideally you wouldn't be in prison at all. But when you need these resources, A, they should be readily available, for, especially for lower income folks, but they're not. And so the first time that some people are getting access to mental health resources, sometimes that people are getting access to knowing that their meal is coming without having to hustle for it or anything is in prison and you know how many niggas be like it's hard out here let me just catch a charge i can go to jail yeah. or i need this surgery let me get locked up so i can get this work done. yeah like, it's literally cannot afford life Mm-mm. and rather be in prison so they can get shit Mm-mm. done because they can't out here oh i forgot one of the other things that she did while she was in prison she worked with dogs in prison like you know how they be having the dog programs in prison to help help train the dogs the therapeutic, the therapeutic dogs. dogs or to train the dogs to sniff out bombs and stuff they do a lot of those in the prisons mm-hmm. so that was something else That'd that she me. did i'd be all over that shit <clears throat> yeah so i mean donna hilton is very much alive very much well very much still doing her activism work um one of the big things is like I mean, like, she'll do a wonderful interview. I see some wonderful interviews of her on Facebook, I mean, on YouTube. And in the comments, it's like, murderer! And it's like, but Mm -hmm. one of the things she said in her book, like, she's always going, it's crazy because you're always going to be judged about that one mistake. And it hurt. The worst thing you did. By the worst thing you did. And the crazy thing for her is, like, the worst thing that I did came out of pure fear. I just, I think, I think the biggest takeaways from Donna is one, one, she has always been remorseful. Like you said, she does plenty of interviews. I like the one she did with Ricky Day on Nothing to Lose podcast. Um, but she's she's so remorseful of the story. She says even then it was just fear, like you said. Um, two, she's been working on her redemption ever since. Right. And then three, she she wasn't as involved as they made her out to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's the only thing you can hope for, you know, like I can't bring back this life, but now you have to actively become better. Like you actively have to work to make the world a better place because you. And I think she's she's working towards that every single day. Like. She's everywhere trying to get all these things taken care of, even shit that ain't got nothing to do with her, like the aid situation. It's just compassion. All right, y'all, it is time for, I didn't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. 
I ain't do it, but if I did, I would have listened to my friend Rita because apparently Rita was a real ass bitch telling you not to fuck with this girl. Sometimes when your friends just know that something's off with a bitch, you got to listen to them. Uh, I ain't do it, but if I did, I don't know. I think I, I think it would have been sketched to me. That's the thing. Having a good parent that's willing to guide you makes all the difference. Because my mama been drilling me, ain't nothing yeah. in life free. And everybody wants something for something, you know? Every time something sounds good. And what they want for that. And what you got to do. And th- you know what I mean? Mm-mm, that ain't worth that. She she, she, she see through the bullshit a mile away. And a, a, a good guided mama would have pointed that out to you. And told you don't get into that shit. But she didn't that's what I'm saying. That. I wish she just had. That's, it's so important to get that foundation together. Because people. When you have that foundation. It's so easy to assume. Oh that's common sense. Oh that's obviously not a good situation. Somebody trained you to think like that. You know what I'm saying. Somebody raised you to know better. And when you're in mm-hmm. them struggling times. It's just like. Uh, shit sound good. Gotta get out of here. Uh, listen, taking a picture of this man cheating on his wife don't sound too bad, you know? Yeah, especially when you don't, when you just simply don't know about exactly. it. Exactly. But I don't know. If I ain't do it, if, 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 if I did do it, I just trying to back out as soon as shit did. I, I felt like she knew in her stomach shit ain't feel right. Yeah, I mean, like, even them meeting up and him being like, I'll help you, or talking on the phone, I'll help you, meeting up, I'll help you, come again, I'll help you, all right, this is what you gotta do. Like, I don't know if that's a, a business tactic or just, like, a mafia tactic or you asking me and saying that you're gonna help me three times and she kept coming back, I think it built that, like, anticipation, almost, like, yeah, I'm gonna oh, help you serious. in that anticipation. Oh, I, oh, he's serious, I need him. Oh, yeah, exactly. And... I feel like that in her gut, it, she knew that it was wrong. But sometimes people really don't, they don't know how to listen to their gut because, I mean, she's had so many people let her down. She don't trust shit. You don't shit, know right from wrong. Herself. She don't trust shit. Yeah. I don't know. She, she, and then they probably, she stayed in the car most of the time. She should have blinked twice. <laughs> Blink hard <laughs> if you need help. I don't know. She just, she was in a shitty situation, man. She was constantly in a shitty situation. She was constantly searching for help and not getting it. Just constantly let down. It's just, this just, it was her story to have. This, this was the life she was meant to have at this point, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I think everything happens. I hate to say that. It sounds cliche. Like, everything happens for a reason, but... But she was meant to come out on this other side. Yeah, and I think that the work that she's doing is really beneficial. And she's it's take it takes a lot of bravery to put yourself out there like that, especially after coming out of prison. I mean, like everything she and does has backlash these every time. Everything, everything that she puts her hand on, there's some type of backlash. I guess really, it's not she is just active. Yeah, when she is actively working to try to make the world, and it's like, at this point, it's not even about me anymore. Like I'm out. I've done my time. I've served my time. Now I'm trying to give back to everybody else and y'all still won't let me do that because y'all, everybody else, y'all don't know what it's like to, to not have nothing and be in the situation that's shitty and, and that shitty situation took a life. And now I'm trying to help impact other, like people can't realize that they just see like murder or she's bad. I get it. Like it's closed mind. It's closed minded, but like, I do get it. Like I get why people would say that. And it was a heinous crime, but the point is to become better. And she's, yeah. she's, I feel like she's actively still paying her debt to society. I mean, you have to. And she talks a bit, she talks a lot about forgiveness and like, you can forgive others, but it's so how hard it is to forgive yourself. Like she's still tr- struggling to forgive herself be, for even being caught up in that situation. And that's, that's difficult. You got to live. Girl, she said she was having my nightmares of Selma's face. Of Selma's face? Yeah. She said she was having nightmares in her nightmare. She would see Selma's face. I said, oh, that's scary. I bet. Yeah. Selma, Selma put the hammer down. 
Go see about seven. Parole, well, she got out. I was going to say parole or no parole, but she got out. I'd have paroled her ass early. I would have given her a little six months early, especially if she has a record like that of doing good. Like, I wasn't going to do yeah. it. I'm not going to do it for just no anybody. But I'd have did it for her. You got two master's degrees in, and an ordained minister, and you did all this programming, and you got all these letters recommendations. Yeah. This, this show is over. No, we got to do the review. Oh, that part. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pulling up my review now. This one's from Light Bright. Remember when that was your Twitter name? Wow. We did not have to go there. <laughs> Light Bright says, when I say I'm a true crime enthusiast, one of my friends recommended this to me, and I must say it's so dope to hear stories from females that look like me. I have been trying to slow down my binge watching since I keep hearing there will only be one episode a week. <laughs> LOL, keep on keeping on and setting goals for our black queens to achieve. Thanks, Thanks. This one was DM'd to us on Twitter from Shay Shakur. Said, hey, sisters. Okay, I just want to say I was never into true crime. I even made fun of how obsessed with true crime my mom was. But one day I stumbled across your podcast, which I don't know how because I was not even into podcasts and I was stuck. I went all the way back to the first episode. And of course, my favorite is Miss Shakur, honey, from the Tupac poem you read to all the songs we sung together. And don't get me started on the stories. I was in love. I listened to your podcast loud and loud and at work. And I will have everybody asking What's that? That's how into it I am. I wish y'all could do these every day. Boy, oh boy. And I'm from Florida. Boy, y'all do us dirty. I absolutely love y'all. Thank you for being who y'all are. Yeah, fuck Florida. (laughs) Y'all, I don't know if y'all seeing this on Spotify, but we ask y'all little questions and you can answer them. Okay, that's all I have to say about that. I think we're done here. Is there anything else that you, is there, are you ready for me to wrap this thing up? All right, y'all, this is actually the end of the show. If you want to leave us a voicemail saying, I ain't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. For any of the episodes, you can go over to anchor.fm and submit that to us. If you're a little long-winded, because they only give you a little bit of time, you can email it to us at sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com. Also, you can hit us up at sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com if you're interested in ad space, want to give us a case recommendation, or if you just want to say, Hi. You can follow us on Twitter at Sisters Who Kill, on Instagram at Sisters Who Kill Pod, on Twitter at Sisters Who Kill Podcast, and you can join the discussion group as long as you answer the questions. But Ren, you got anything else? Talk to us, we talk back. Bye.